Welcome to More Than Myths. Hi guys, welcome to More Than Myths. I'm Corinne. I'm Haley. And we're a podcast for the curious. And every week we tell each other mind-blowing, sometimes silly, sometimes crazy, sometimes spooky stories that we researched on the internet or books or podcasts. All of the above. Blow each other's minds. Hi, Haley. Hi. Happy 2022, you guys. Welcome to the new year. Yeah. Okay. I hate this, but I also love it. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? To read a lot of books. <laughs> oh, that's a oh, good one. Yeah. And I decided that I really want 2022 to be the year of the dinosaur bones for me. I really oh. want to go. There's a museum in Canada that is mm-hmm. called the Royal Tyrell Museum. Mm-hmm. And they have this tyrannosaurus skeleton that they call black beauty and she is in i believe it's carbon but the whole rock in her skeleton is jet black and it's this beautiful like shiny she's you guys wow. i love dinosaurs if you couldn't tell from the reels who's the bat lover and who's the dinosaur <laughs> lover now the secret is revealed i am obsessed with dinosaurs and corinne loves bats <laughs> i love bats they're so cute <laughs> but that's that's my goal is to go up there that's and, amazing and see see the skeleton because it has been a dream of mine for probably 10 years to go up there and yeah. I just haven't been able to. And so maybe, maybe hopefully I'm, you know, manifesting yeah. my year of the dinosaur bones. <laughs> I love that. I think you should also go to New York city and go to the museum oh, of natural history gosh. because you would cry. I, w- I think I, I don't, I don't think I've been to that one. Maybe I was little, but my parents told me that the dinosaurs moved, the skeletons moved and it scared oh. me because I was tiny. I was like maybe five or six and that scared me i had a hard time yeah you're like oh my god because to a tiny child right those skeletons are enormous and i for a couple minutes was like i don't think i want to go in there anymore yeah (laughs) to a tiny human dinosaurs are ginormous so (laughs) i feel you um actually i have a really cool story for you that you just kind of triggered so my daughter my toddler and i were in line the other day at our bakery And this lady behind us is, and um, my daughter's wearing her dinosaur coat. She loves dinosaurs as well. (laughs) And um, this lady behind us had a dinosaur keychain. And so she's like, oh my God, mommy, look, a dinosaur. And so we started talking to this lady. She's a teacher, right? She works for the school district. And she's like, oh yeah, I love dinosaurs. I got to do an excavation of a T-Rex. Oh my gosh, I would die. I would and die. She told us about it for like 10 minutes <sighs> and it was so cool. And she's like, she's like, I haven't gone back because I don't think I could do a dig on anything but a T-Rex now because uh-huh. so that was the coolest thing I could possibly do. There's nothing that would top that, you know? Oh my and so gosh, she was that's like, amazing. she totally nerded out about dinosaurs <sighs> with me. And I was, I was like expecting nothing. And so it was just like <laughs> one of like, it was a very cool bakery conversation. So that is like, amazing. Holy oh cow. my gosh. So yeah, we were so like, about you? the dinosaur lady. That's oh my said. gosh. That's um, amazing. Wild. Um, so my resolutions definitely read more books as well because I'm, I'm, 
I finally feel like I caught the bug with reading books. Yeah. <laughs> um, to enjoy more walks outside. Oh, I love walking outside. One. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I we live in Washington and it rains all the time. And so it's really hard to sometimes, especially in the winter when it's like such a bummer to yeah. like will myself to go do it. But really, sure. I, all my rain jackets would keep me dry. Like I have no excuse. I just need to go outside more. So walks and reading um, are my two big ones. And then so podcast funny. stuff. Oh, podcast stuff. Like I think big like goals, big <laughs> goals. We're going to manifest here. Like I would love to make it through all of 2022 and have all of our episodes up to date and, you know, like stay on top of it. That seems like, I feel like we've got a pretty good habit now, so I don't yeah. see that changing. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I don't know, 5,000 followers. That would be amazing. Oh my gosh. 5,000 by 2022 would be big deal. That would be a big deal. Big goals. Big goals. So yeah, everybody. Yeah. Do you have any kind of like New Year's ritual? Do you do anything? Do you write it down? Do you journal? Do you? I always have the best intentions at the beginning of the year. And I yeah. always spend, you know, $30 of a journal that I'm going to use for three months and then I don't use it anymore. Same. <sighs> yeah. I'm not a journaler. I, I've tried. I've tried and mm -hmm. I have like bought every pretty journal I possibly could. I'm just, I don't write out yeah. things. I'm a chatter. I like to talk. Yeah. Weird, right? Weird. Me? You talking, chatting. No. no way. Never. No way. Um, so no, I do better like chatting about like, hey, these are my goals and here's what my my plan is. What's your plan? You know, I like yeah. connecting with people on it. Yes. So gotcha. I speak it into being, oh, you have a more than mist sticker on your microphone. I do have more than mist sticker on my microphone. That was when I couldn't tell you about it. And I put it up there and I was like, oh, crap, she's going to see it because I did. I received them as a surprise. Yeah. And I didn't want to tell you about it until, until I was able to surprise you. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you guys haven't seen our stickers yet. They're on. We have a, a couple pictures of them on our Instagram. Um, we'll probably do another giveaway here soon. We did a holiday giveaway, and one of our listeners won a mug and a sticker. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, they're really cute. They're like holographic, and so yeah, they they're so look pretty. all rainbowy and beautiful. I have one on my laptop. I did put it on my laptop, but I, now I want to like put one on. Do it, and we too. can do matching. Um, microphone sticker, but yeah, ladies. it's our first bit of merch. It's our first yes. bit of merch, so we just yeah. have to get them available. We're if you'd like a more than miss sticker, let us know. Let us know if you'd like one. I don't know what we'll do with that information, but just tell us. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll get one, maybe you won't. Maybe, right? Exactly, just like everything else we found on the internet, <laughs> right. <laughs> Might stub your toe, you might die. Well, you might die. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> it's so drastic. Man, it's, it's so, so drastic. drastic. Do you want to start out the new year? Yeah, I'll go. I'm Sweet. happy to go. Nice. Take yeah. it away. Take it away, Erin. Um, okay. I'm excited about this one. This is the first time I'm doing something in this realm. I think so. Today we're going to talk about fairy godmothers. Yeah. What? 
Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. Oh, yeah. that's it's so great. So it's the first time like I'm going into a fairy tale realm and um fun. Oh, some different. I'm ready. Yeah, I it's really cute. Am ready. It's really cute. Um okay. So fairy godmothers have been popularized mostly by like Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. Those are the two most popular fairy tales of all time, actually. And they all have fairy godmothers. So, you know, Cinderella has this figure that comes to her in her time of need and she helps bestow gifts on her and that kind of thing to change her fate, right? Um, same with Sleeping Beauty, although Sleeping Beauty has the three good witches. Maleficent oh, is also yeah. considered a fairy godmother, where but she bestows a fate on her. So, like, that's the theme of a fairy godparent is that they are bestowers of some sort of gift, fate, or something to change someone's fate, right? Mm. Um, If you could change your fate. Change your fate. <laughs> Sorry, I had to no, do No, I know. I knew I was going to do it too. Um, <laughs> Merida. Merida. Change your fate. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's one of my favorite movies. It's so very good. cute. I love that movie. Um, so while these tales are the most popular, this they actually have roots in mythology. So um, in medieval myths, fays were said to preside over the birth of a child, and they would give out gifts or prophecies. So they would be there while the mother was giving birth and then like observe this process. Unfortunately, poor mom, like you have all these fucking fairies standing around you while you're like going through the worst pain of your life. I don't know. But then it's also said that they would be at the christening too. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like kind of Sleeping Beauty vibes Sleeping Be where yeah. they're bestowing their gifts on her, like when they're at the viewing or whatever. Um, so. Fairy godmothers are not like typical fairies. And I, we haven't done a fairy episode and we will, but it's also like fairies are kind of a general term mm. for gnomes, goblins, you oh, know, yeah. werewolves. They're like everything's kind of fae mm. if it possesses a magical trait. kind of element, trait. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so – Fairy is a very broad term. It's like almost too big to actually cover. And so there's lots of little veins that go. Anyway, but something with fairies is that fairies are normally um, not something you'd want around your newborn baby. Like, <laughs> because they would most likely steal it. Like a changeling, right? Yeah, like a changeling okay. or a goblin would do or... You know, they're like, gotcha. no, they'll take the baby. They'll use it for their benefit or whatever. Right. Um, Which is also kind of funny because the fairy godmothers take Briar Rose. <laughs> but oh, to help. Yeah, I didn't even put that together. I know. So, yeah. You just blew my mind. That's what I'm here to do. Uh. <laughs> so fairies are actually kind of dicks and are usually like causing trouble. Or harm to humans. So yeah. fairy godmothers are not those kinds of fairies. Like they are not looking to harm. They are there to guide and like protect that kind of thing. So which is why they're pretty rare in many fairy tales. And it's really like one of the articles I read was 
they were laughing because it's like fairy godmothers aren't very prevalent in fairy tales, but they're in the two most famous fairy tales of all time. Yeah. So it makes fairy godmothers famous, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though you don't hear about them a ton. So they are said to be wise and seek to support the child. However, they are usually benevolent. They can sometimes be wicked, i.e. sleeping beauty. Maleficent. So um, fairy godmothers are also tied back to the fates in Greek and Roman mythology. So there were three fates who shared one eye, right? Right. Um, And they lived – I think they lived in a cave. Um. I'm trying not to go off of Hercules. I'm trying to go off actual Greek mythology. I believe they are said to live in a cave. Um, and But they could tell the future and predict death and that kind of thing. Right? Yes. They're all-knowing. <laughs> I had always all-knowing. Re- I, my favorite part – sorry. My favorite part of the Disney movie is, what's wrong with these scissors? scissors. <laughs> That's my favorite. And when my scissors don't work, I have to say it. <laughs> What's wrong with these scissors? I know, I yeah. love it. It's Sorry. so satisfying when they're cutting too, and they're like the blades are snapping, right? Yes. And like, oh, can't cut an immortal thread, ladies. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. So then that theme of three actually kind of goes along with that the fates, but also in the Prosetta mentions the three Norns who are sometimes um. And sometimes more who come when a man is born to help shape his life. So okay. even like Nordic mythology has um, three presiding over a birth. And that's in like um, with Norse mythology, it's all about Valhalla and battle. And yes. so it makes more sense that it's a male focus to me in that Yeah, no, that does make area, sense. Right? Yeah. Yep. Um, in Chinese myth- mythology, Chun is the goddess of childbirth, and she has two attendants that accompany her. So, again, that myth of three in all kinds of different genres. Then in a Christian context, a godmother is meant to so help support your religious journey and also step in and assist if a child's parents die. So, you know, that kind of ties into both of those things like they're the ones who are there to protect you and make sure that you're a good person and yes you know do well in life but also if your parents are unavailable they're supposed to step in and fill that role for them so generally godmothers have female heroines that they look after except there is a story of tom thumb which um he has a very godmother who looks after him as well as the blue fairy and pinocchio is very similar Oh, right. Yeah. Now that you're bringing up all of these fairy godmothers, now I'm realizing like, oh, right. So would – from the Wizard of Oz, would um, Glenda be considered a godmother? Probably. She's a fairy. Okay. And she's and she's bestowing like she gives her the ruby slippers, which are the key to get home. Right. All all right. So I would I would agree that that's a fairy godmother. Okay. Um, King King Arthur is said to have been blessed by fairies, actually elves, at his birth. So this common this theme of being looked after after at birth, especially if you're a heroine of a story or a hero of a story, you are looking at that whole arc, right? Yeah. So that's where these are more. They're just getting an assist. Yeah. Now these fairy godmothers don't always show up as a fairy, but sometimes they do as like a deceased relative, mothers 
past fathers, that kind of thing. So Cinderella and actually Charles Perrault's version of Cinderella, it's um, her mother comes to her and oh. helps bestow like the gifts she needs to go to the ball kind of thing. Gotcha. So, and then they can also sometimes even take the shape and form of an animal. Okay. So in the Chinese version of Cinderella, which is Yi Zhan, it's actually the ghost of a pet fish given to her by her mother comes to guide her. So her oh. stepmom and her stepsister actually end up killing the fish and eating it. <gasps> and she saves the bones. And then the bones help the ghost comes to guide her the, of this fish. Wow. Yeah, it's really wild. So that's actually what I'm going to – that's actually the version that I'm going to talk about today is I wanted to kind of tell another story of Cinderella that isn't – Widely known. Widely known. Oh, oh man. Yeah. So awesome. Yishan is a motherless daughter of a cave-dwelling chieftain um, in China. And so because her father dies, she's actually – and since she's not a man, her her family is actually thrown into poverty, and they are like they have no status in in the village anymore. So her stepmother and her stepsister is like not as pretty as her, shocking. And Ijan is actually very pretty and you know kind and clever, you know Cinderella. So the, after the death of her father, father, they're all kind of you know shut away, don't talk to her anymore. You know, and then Cinderella is charged to take care of her stepmother and her stepsister, who are bitches. And so her her dead mother sends a fish to guide her. So she talks to this fish every day. The fish is her best friend and so on. And then her mother, her stepmother, who is spiteful and mean, decides to make it worse for her and kills the fish. And then they eat him for dinner. That's horrible. Yep. And so she saves the fish bones and buries them in the four corners of her bedroom. And that way she can harness the power of the spirit guide. So it would be, it would act kind of like a genie and she could make wishes that would come true. Okay. So there's a cell, there's a festival to celebrate New Year's as it arrives. Yijan is left alone in the cave of her home and then makes a wish to the wishing bones. Um, and she manages to attend the ball or the festival dressed as a beautiful in secret. Nobody can recognize her feathered silk dress, golden slippers, right? So she's the star of the party. And then um, then she meets the king of the like area they live in or the large kingdom that encompass, encompasses numerous islands. And she has small feet, right? Mm -hmm. And he mm -hmm. notices this. And so – when she leaves her slipper, they are looking for her because she has very small feet. And so mm -hmm. he finally finds her because her foot is so unique and so small that no one else could fit her shoe. He finally found her, married her, made her queen. Mm. Wife and queen is what it says. Um, it also says that the wicked stepmother and the daughter are killed in an avalanche of flying rocks. Oh. And are buried in an unmarked grave. There you go. That's, wow. That's Ijan. It's, again – Pretty similar, but also yeah, a little bit a little dark. different. But also, yeah. Cinderella is not your Walt Disney classic. It's no, it is not. Freaking, it's pretty brutal. It's, like Brothers Grimm is really brutal. Yeah, there's yeah. some toes that go flying. Yeah, there are. Doesn't she? Doesn't she cut off her heel in the real story? Um, the stepsisters the cut off. Yeah. One of them cuts their heel, and the other one cuts their toes. Whew. gross. Yeah. Ugh. Shoe full of blood. 
nasty. Too full of blood. But yeah, that's what I have about. Oh, no, I have one more thing. So I did want to call out that in Amazon's 2001 Cinderella remake, mm. it was the first time the role of a fairy godmother had been played genderless. Oh, um, yeah. And actually, the role is played by Billy Porter. And it's a cute movie if you like musicals and you like Cinderella. And Billy Porter is the star for sure. He's great. I don't so, think I've ever seen that one. Yeah, it's brand new. It just came out, I think, in September. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I definitely didn't see it. Yeah, they they bring in like, nor- like normal music. Sorry, that's not what I meant. They bring in like and do covers of songs, like popular songs. Oh, and okay. It's it's really good. It's again cheesy, but yeah, feel good. It's got a really good cast, and it's just fun. Nice, just fun. but yeah, no, I did want to make that call out from a Hollywood's perspective. There was also this article of like the best godmothers, and oh yeah, this was clearly written before. Billy Porter was a god, fairy godmother, or Fab G is what they call them. <laughs> um, but that's a pretty fun article that I'll share as well. Nice. Yeah, we'll have it on our website. So that's what you got? That's what I've got. That's okay. fairy godmothers for you. When you started telling me all of the different instances, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I keep going to drink coffee and it's gone. Do you want to go get some? No. Have you had enough? Probably. Yeah. But maybe not. I don't know. Maybe if you do a little cup. Yeah. Half cup. Half like, cup. You, like a half cup. Quarter cup. Quarter cup. Quarter cup. Quarter cup of coffee. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about. I'm going to kind of go into a different. Oh, let me just tell you. Okay. I'm going to talk about an armored ship of burden. Or a galleon that has been dubbed the Holy Grail of Shipwrecks. Oh. So it's a shipping ship, not a ship ship, but a shipping ship. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you for the clarification. Yes. So Chris actually sent me this article from Vanity Fair Mm -hmm. about this ship. And it grabbed me. I was immediately, I wanted to know more. It fascinated me. So I actually used a lot of the information from this article because it was a really good, sorry, it was a really good resource. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not a cryptid or a scary story or anything, but the story of the San Jose is something of a legend. It is something of myth. So it's also really fascinating. So I'm going to talk about it. I love it. Some little histories, interesting mysteries. (laughs) His, history's interesting mysteries with yeah. Haley. With me. Yeah. Welcome to the mini show. <laughs> so uh, the year is 1697 AD. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And we are standing in the shipyard in Mapil, Spain. Okay. Doing some, you know, location and time jumps. Uh, the galleon we're going to talk about is named the San Jose and she was designed by Francisco Antonio Garotti and was built and made real by Pedro de Ariostegui. That guy. Ericos, 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 Ericos
Aries. A-R-O-E-S-T-E-G-U-I. Ericostwe. You, what you said. That guy. Pedro. Mm-hmm. My good friend Pedro, the shipbuilder. Yep. So the San Jose is actually a twin. And she and her sister ship, the San Joaquin, were built as part of, as part of the Spanish treasure fleet during the War of the Spanish Succession. So they okay. started construction on these twin ships in 1697. And they were launched in 1698. So this ship, the San Jose, was 150 feet long and had a beam of 45 feet, which the beam means how wide it is as, at its widest point. And I believe that that was typically under the water, so you can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had three masts and was armed with 64 guns or cannons and could carry either 1,200 tons or it weighed 1,200 tons. I don't know. I saw both. Either way. Again. Yeah. Also, it might have had 64 cannons. It might have had 62 or it might have 60. I saw all three. All right. Again, the internet. Who knows? At least that is a little bit more on the same wheelhouse. It's really close. 12 or 60. That's a different story. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, you know, kind of a little bit better. So these ships were basically just used to transport treasure. But they did need a way to defend themselves against pirates or their enemies at that time. And so they would have cannons. And the San Jose's cannons were engraved with these really ornate dolphins, which were very recognizable. Mm -hmm. So it would sell for 10 years doing ship stuff (laughs) as part of the Spanish treasure fleet. Do what? Doing ship Doing ship. It was just doing ship as a part of the <laughs> Spanish treasure fleet. That's good. Transporting passengers and treasure. I believe passengers, maybe crews, but I'm pretty sure passengers. Um, And originally galleons were used as warships, but mm-hmm. over time it changed and they were just used to transport treasure from point A to point B, um, which would help fund the war that Spain was engaged in and... So they would usually have cannons or whatever. Mm -hmm. So on the 28th of May, 1708, the commander of this treasure fleet, his name was Admiral Jose Fernandez de Santillan. He decided that he couldn't wait any longer to sell back to Spain because hurricane season was approaching and the rest of the fleet, as well as their escort, was all they were all waiting for them in Havana, Cuba. And they were telling him, like, if you don't hurry your ass up, we're leaving without you. Like, it's getting too dangerous to sail. We're running out of time. We've got to get, we've got to go. So he's, he, he has with him um, 14 merchant ships, a Hulk, (laughs) (laughs) which is just another type of ship. Not, unfortunately, not what we're thinking. Not a green man. (laughs) And uh, there's three escorting warships. The San Jose, its twin sister, the San Joaquin, and a 44-gun ship named the Santa Cruz. Okay. So they – so we're going to do another location jump. They're in Panama loading their ships with plundered gold, silver, emeralds, jewels, all set to go to Spain to the treasury of King Philip V to help fund the war that they they are waging with France against Britain. Okay. How much were they transporting? Great question between 7 and 12 million pesos or <laughs> believed by people today to be worth more than 10 billion with a b as in billions billion of booty yeah tons of so much wow money. yeah 
They were just taking too. Yes, they were. <sighs> yep. So the fucking majority- conquerors. <laughs> so the majority of the billions was on the San Jose. The San Joaquin mm-hmm. did have another large portion of the treasure, about five million. And a small fraction was put on the Santa Cruz because they just probably ran out of room. And it was, I mean, it was smarter to split up your treasure right? in case of what happened, happens. <sighs> yep. So on the evening of June 7th, the Spanish fleet reaches the island of Baru, which is right mm-hmm. by Colombia. But the British are coming and they're coming on four ships. So there's the expedition, which is a 70 gun ship. And this always makes me think of like the, again, terrible movie reference, but the giant ship from Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. It would have been like that. that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been like that. Um, The Kingston, which is a 60 gun ship, the Portland, which is a 50 and the Vulture, which is a 28 gun ship, but it serves another purpose. The Vulture, it was a fire ship. So (gasps) I didn't know what that was. Okay. So what I found was, it's basically a ship full of explosives. And what they would do is they would set a fire and they would let it drift towards their enemy or whoever they were engaged in battle in and <gasps> it would blow up. Blow them all so the ignite their, the other ships that they were in battle with or it would cause them to break formation because they knew these smaller ships were fire ships and they you need to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. So they had this ship also. But then you're split off and you're not. But then you're split off and it would just cause chaos and probably so much death. So the Spanish are outgunned. They've only got three ships, two with 60-something cannons up against these these four four ships. Yep. And another thing is the San Jose has 600 people on board. Now, oh. I don't know if these were, if the majority of them were sailors, if they were people that were going from this area back to Spain, or if some of them were getting dropped off in Cuba. I'm not sure. But there were 600 wow. people on board. So the captain, he's an admiral. Mm-hmm. Um, he decides that the only thing to do to give these merchant ships a chance to make it into the harbor is to turn and fight. So he's he's got this ship with 600 people on it, all of this treasure. I mean, the ship already weighs, you know, so it's pretty low in the water, but he doesn't have a choice. Right. So he hoists his red battle flag and turns around to face the enemy with the <gasps> San Joaquin and the Santa Cruz. Like, talk about fucking balls. Yeah. He's so brave. He knows he's outgunned. He knows that his ship is so low in the water. But he turns and fights. So the British ships are being led by a Commodore Charles Wagner from the Royal Mm -hmm. Navy. And he knows, this guy, he knows that he needs to take on the two bigger ships. He needs to take down the San Jose and the San Joaquin. And because they're the one that's going to have the treasure. Right. So (laughs) they're also the most formidable, formidable because they have more guns than the Santa Cruz. So they meet. And they trade broadsides, which I'm assuming is them just sailing past each other while firing their cannons at each other at super close range. Mm -hmm. So they're basically just making the other ship look like Swiss cheese. 
They're just yeah. firing holes into each other to try to either damage and have them take on water. Or of course, you know, I mean, if wood gets hit by a cannonball, it's going to splinter. That's, I mean, you get the idea. Yeah. So the fight these two are engaged in would become known as Wagner's action after the Commodore. And mm -hmm. I'm going to read you actually a couple of excerpts from journals and logs that we have from the Commodore himself, as well as captains from the other ships on the British side, because I saw two different things. There were 17 survivors from the San Jose out of 600 people, wow. or there were 11. Mm. Either way, it's pretty horrific. Pretty but devastating. Not, what? Pretty devastating. Pretty devastating. Yeah. So the first one I'm going to read you is actually from a, I believe it's from a court case because there's a current battle that's going on over the San Jose, totally different kind, modern battle. Um, but this document comes from the salvage company, Sea Search Armada. Um, so this is, <clears throat> this is what they said. The battle started around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And it was a one-on-one -on -one battle. Wagner's ship, the expedition, had the San Jose outgunned both in the number and size of their cannons. Okay, so the first bloody broadside was exchanged between them shortly after sunset. There were casualties on both sides. In the light winds, the ship seems to be the ships seemed to be drifting, but locked together, blasting each other with cannonades of chains, scrap iron, and balls of all sizes up to Wagner's 32 pounders. The largest cannon on the San Jose was 24 pounders. Between broadsides, each ship raked the other's decks with small swivel cannons and muskets. There was a good deal of blood on the decks from both ships. Sand was quickly poured over the blood to allow sure footing for the crew as the battle continued without interruption. Yeah. By 7 o'clock, it was quite dark. Wagner's sixth broadside answered Allegra. So really quick, the Admiral was also the Count of Allegra. Um, mm -hmm. blasts of fire and smoke spurted out of 30 cannons consecutively as they came to bear. The noise was deafening. The smoke smelling of sulfur and brimstone was heavy in the air and punctuated with crimson from fire streaking out of the cannon barrels. With little wind, the smoke was slow to clear. It enveloped and obscured the two ships pounding each other at close range. The expedition's 32-pound cannonballs blasted through the heavy timbers of the San Jose's hull at a distance of about 100 feet. After the last of the expedition's 30 cannons had fired, there was a brief silence as the gun crews tried to see through the smoke to assess the damage that had been done. The silence was broken by a tremendous explosion on the San Jose. From the deck of the expedition, Wagner could feel the sudden heat of the blast, but little of the shock, <clears throat> but little of the shock as the path of least resistance for the explosion inside the San Jose was upward. The gunpowder, which had been moved up from its lower hole to escape the leakage, had ignited. Its explosion oh. drove the hull of the San Jose down into the sea with a force so great it created a shockwave. A wall of water so high it came in at the expedition's gun ports. I'm assuming that's probably pretty high out of the water. Yeah. So the San Jose's upper decks, which were not built to withstand forces from below, offered little resistance. The decks blew skyward, splintering from the blast and igniting from the heat. So let's talk about this for a second, right? Whoa. What? Bananas. It's crazy. And this is just what they, what this company, the salvage company has put together from what they think has happened from recordings and things. Right. Um, but it paints a pretty graphic picture yeah. of what the sea battle would have been like between these two massive ships. Because 
there's a couple different theories about maybe what really happened, yeah. but you don't want to be captured by your enemy. And the Spanish, I mean, certainly didn't want their treasure to be captured either. Right. So it was, I mean, it was probably a fight to the death, you know? Yeah. And it, I mean, the fact that they were hurtling chains at each other is just, it's so brutal. Wow. So one of the things that I do want to, they don't, they're not really sure exactly what happened. They don't know if it, the gunpowder actually ignited mm -hmm. or another theory that I'd read was that the, the Admiral caused the explosion because yeah. he would have rather seen his ship at the bottom of the ocean than the hands of his enemies. Yeah. Which it's possible. I don't know. I yeah. mean, that's a lot of people that you have on board and you're responsible for all of those people. Yeah, I don't know. But then it's at the same time, debate. you also went into battle when you could have not. Tried to, yeah. I mean, he could have right? tried to run. Yeah. Could have tried to run. Mm -hmm. I mean, you also could have surrendered. You also could have surrendered. If you, care, if you cared more about the people on the board, right? Yeah. I mean, it could go both. But also, I don't way. know what how those people would have been treated. So maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. It's hard to say. So there's an excerpt from the expedition that Admiral Wagner actually wrote. And he said, it was just sunset when I engaged the Admiral. So that's the San Jose. Mm -hmm. And in about an hour and a half, it being it being then quite dark, the Admiral blew up. I being then alongside, along his side, not a half pistol shot from him so that the heat from the blast came very hot upon us and several splinters of plank and timber came on board us a fire. We soon threw them overboard. I believe the ship's side blew out for she caused a sea that came in our ports. She immediately sank with all of her riches. One of the escort ships, the captain from that, said that a great fire seemed to come from within the Capitana, which was the San Jose. It mm -hmm. rose to the top. It rose to the top mast and top sails, giving the appearance of a volcanic eruption. Accompanying wow. that was a great pall of smoke, one that lasted for 15 minutes. When it cleared, the Capitana was gone. So I didn't know how tall the masts from these ships were. And generally, mm -hmm. they were about 120 feet high. Okay. It's pretty high. Um, it's a pretty big explosion. I guess also, too, some more philosophical discussion there, too, is like, if you're British and you're going after treasure. Mm-hmm. What's the point of sinking a boat? Yeah. So the admiral, right, he never, ever saw this as a victory. This was a crushing failure. Okay. Okay, he cool. Because I'm like, he was really what was dope. your goal here? What was your end goal? Because I think it was just to capture the treasure because that's so much money that's funding. Yeah. And I don't know in, in history what point in the war it's at. I don't know if Britain's losing. Right. I don't know. Um, but that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that you're able to, you know, maybe get more weapons or new weapons or, you know, build more ships because well, I'm, I guarantee it was Also naval. bring home, like, can you imagine the, like, um, celebrity that you would have? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it would be pretty, I don't, I mean, I don't know how much this captain brought home in his career but right. the i mean he went down with the ship and there's not actually any manifest that's been found from the san jose yeah so it's there's i'll tell you a little bit more about some of the stuff that's found <laughs> weird there's some weird stuff on this ship okay real weird but yeah i, I does this have anything to do with cursed gold <laughs> 
I don't think it's cursed. I know. I, I was mean, just it's... thinking like, because again, Pirates of the Caribbean, cursed <laughs> right. Aztec treasure. I mean, I, it's possible. Maybe. I, Who knows? You never know. Maybe they shouldn't have taken this stuff and put it in there. It didn't belong to them. It didn't belong to them. No. So the Admiral would eventually disable and capture the Santa Cruz, but the San Joaquin escaped and made it into the harbor. And um, the Santa Cruz was carrying an estimated $80,000 today. Oh. Um, the Not $10 billion. Nope. Nope. Only, yeah, it's just a little. Like 80, I say $80,000 only a little bit. Well, I mean, yeah, com- just compared, compared to 10 to what you lost 10 billion yeah at the bottom of the ocean yeah it's fucking gone yep uh so when he went back to england he returned pretty rich man um the wagner's action ended a few days later on the 12th of june um and he was actually follow uh, he was knighted in the following year by queen anne but um you know, again, okay. he was never, he didn't see it as a victory. He saw it as a devastating failure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So he actually presided over the court martials for the other two captains of his, of two other ships that were with him. Yeah. And they were charged with poor performance and found negligent in their failures to pr- pursue the San Joaquin. And they were actually dismissed from the Navy without pensions because they didn't chase this other ship. And they couldn't, there weren't actually details about how they were. <laughs> yeah, so wow. shitty. Wow, brutal. Um, it wasn't clear what their poor performance was, but I think it was just that they didn't give chase to this other galleon. Right. Um. So this stands as one of the most expensive maritime losses in history. It's been dubbed the Holy wow. Grail of shipwrecks. It stayed underwater undiscovered for more than 300 years. But... <gasps> But I'm going to get into the fact that we found it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. So interesting. 90% fun fact. 90% of historical artifacts have been found by treasure hunters, not archaeologists. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. 90% of historical artifacts. I mean, you got to think about Egypt and you know yeah but there's so many shipwrecks i mean there's like a whole it looks like a nike symbol just shipwreck after shipwreck in this one area so that's know. wild mm-hmm. but also i mean if you're obsessed with something right but you'd think yes that, treasure hunter if you're an archaeologist it's your job right so do you want to like preserve history every once in a while yeah you know, or you're like oh, i don't feel like thinking about this for a week where it's like, if you're a treasure hunter, you're obsessed. That's my, yeah, in this house, humble opinion. <laughs> in this house, humble opinion. <laughs> so on the ship, there were jewels, gems, um, and there was also gold and silver, which doesn't oxidize. So as the ship and all of the items that went down with the ship, as they disintegrate and deteriorate and disappear over the years, the gold's going to stay exactly the same. It hasn't right. changed from, you know, 300 years ago to so today. So it's still down there. It's still down there. Yeah. <gasps> so the luster of all this gold that was found in the quote unquote new world called to people from Columbus's time to Hernan Cortez, who said to Montezuma's messenger, I and my companions suffer from a disease of the heart, which can only be cured with gold. So treasure hunting has been 
a big, I mean, look at the gold rush. Look at, I mean, there's mm-hmm. movies about people trying to find shipwrecks, mm-hmm. treasure, gold, finding these things. So more than 8,000 Spanish ships that are believed to be lost during the colonial era between 1492 and the 19th century. But usually they wouldn't sink in battle. They'd accidentally run aground or run into reefs and they'd rip the bottom of their ship open and they'd sink. Mm -hmm. So if they could be located, the Spanish at that time would enforce, they make the enslaved or indigenous people actually dive for it in really dangerous conditions to try to get the treasure back from the ship that had sunk. Right. But modern underwater treasure hunting wasn't a thing until the 1950s when more modern practical scuba equipment, like not that huge dome that you see, right? Right. Became a thing. So by the 1970s, something that was just fun turned into a fucking gold rush. And people lost their fucking minds. So in 1979, these stockbrokers started a company named Glockamoria to search for the San Jose. (laughs) Their investor was Michael Landon from Little House on the Prairie. Whoa. And a Nixon advisor and Watergate mastermind, John Enrichman. (laughs) This guy. This guy. So they did a dive in 79 and they found a single cannon, but it's not that they couldn't confirm that it was from the San Jose because remember she had very ornate dolphins. Yep. So they ran out of money. They found another civilian submarine called the August Picard, which Mm -hmm. was built to take tourists at a Swiss expo to the bottom of Lake Geneva, which is kind of cool. All right. They found a shipwreck on a ledge and returned to the site a bunch of times. And on one of the times that they were coming up, they found that some wood had been lodged in the propeller shafts. So they got it back to the surface, analyzed it, and discovered that it would it matched the same type of wood that would have been used for a galleon, such as the San Jose. Okay. This is enough for them. They declare that they have found the San Jose and like a bunch of dummies, they give the coordinates. They just spout them out. They're like, we found the San Jose and it's at blah, 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 whatever coordinates. This address precisely. (laughs) Right. P.O. Box. (laughs) P.O. Box in the bottom of the ocean. Exactly. Right here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So dumb. So the head investor, this guy named Warren Stearns, meets with the Colombian government to discuss how the treasure should be divided or could be divided once it's brought to the surface. And it was understood that it would actually be split evenly. But when it comes time to sign the paperwork, the Colombian government only said, hey, we're only going to give you 25%. So Stearns refuses and backtracks. He's like, actually, the coordinates we gave you is not completely accurate. That's not where it's at. And he calls his team. He gets out of this meeting and he calls his team and he's like, stop diving. Don't do anything else. We don't want people to know where the ship is. So a couple days later, they're surfacing from a dive, getting these transponders that they've set as kind of like breadcrumbs to find the Mm -hmm. ship. And they all get arrested by a Colombian gunship, gunboat, sorry, on charges that they had no license to operate a submarine in Colombian waters. So it's, they're all arguing and it's been like this. They're all arguing over the treasure because Spain is involved, obviously, because it was a Spanish galleon. That all right. of their treasure was on and they were transporting it. Right. But Colombia says it's ours because it's from our lands. It's our money. 
our it's off our coast. It technically came from our area, and the indigenous people that live there were used to retrieve and mine all this gems and gold, and yes. it's off the coast of our country. So they're all arguing about it. Mm-hmm. A major turning point was when UNESCO, and that's the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, they made this this treaty. There was an agreement that was aimed to prevent like plundering of shipwrecks and all of this like archaeological sites that have been underwater for more than a hundred years. Okay. So on December 4th, 2015, the president of Colombia, his name's Juan Manuel Santos, sends the following tweet. And he says, we found the galleon San Jose. Tomorrow I will give the details at a press conference from Cartagena. So he's at this naval base and he's asking or he's hosting this conference and he's telling people like, hey, I'm going to build this great museum to house the ship and all the treasures. And it was he tells them that it was a joint effort between the government of Colombia and an international team of scientists, quote unquote, of the highest level. He doesn't really give any specifics. And he tells them on a radio. He tells everybody on this radio interview that he met this guy who looked like Hemingway. He has white hair and a beard and he comes up to him in this it's this ball and he says, I have a map and it's not known to anyone and it doesn't appear on any other maps and I can guarantee you I know where the galleon is based on this map. So there's a bunch of questions that come up like, who is this guy? How does he have this information? Who's paying for this? Like, does he actually have a ship and submarines to go down there? Because it's 2,000 how many feet down? I think it's 2,000 feet down. So you can't just, you can't just get to it. You, you have to have, dive. You no. have to have the right equipment. You have to have a submarine. You have to have a submersible. So again, there's a bunch of problems between Spain and Colombia and the foreign minister gets involved and everybody's just kind of bickering about this. Right. So who is this Hemingway guy? He's an archaeologist named Robert Roger Dooley, he's 76 years old, and in his lifetime working, doing this, he's found over 100 shipwrecks since <gasps> the 1960s. Wow. Yeah, he has been obsessed with the San Jose. So he he found a – he was – he happened upon it. He was, like, rummaging through some papers, and he found a sewn-together collection of letters about a different shipwreck the San Jose, which he didn't know about. He was trying to find information about one, stumbled on this. Uh He became obsessed and he was convinced that he could find it. It took him 30 years. So yeah, he, he found a notebook that was written by a pilot from the San Jose that would know the routes. And based on this guy's journal, he found six areas to search in that hadn't been searched before for the San Jose to find this wreck. So we're going to, it's 2000 to 2013. He's trying to find investors and he finally finds one. He finds a guy in England Mm -hmm. and he calls this guy the originator. And he's this phenomenally wealthy 40 something London financier who's passionate about naval history and has, he doesn't care how much it costs. He He found the right guy. He found the right guy. He wants to find the San Jose. So they found this company. And he, a few years later at the Library of Congress in Washington, he finds this map of the Cartagena region Mm -hmm. from 1729 
that had a weird detail on it. And he decides it's called the Shoals of the Admiral. And he decides this is where he's going to look. So he goes down. Um, he meets first. He has to meet with the president, which is that at that ball that I told you about. Um, mm -hmm. So they hire as a contractor the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, which another fun fact is the company that found the Titanic in 1985. <gasps> what? Mm -hmm. Okay. So. They begin searching in the spring of 2015. The Woods Hole Institute is brought on with the, they have a submersible um, and they would give it this pattern called mowing the lawn. So it would just go up and down and they would get data and they'd look at it to see if they'd find anything. And several weeks go by and they don't find anything, but they have to pause until the end of the year because the Woods Hole has another project that they had already had a contract on and they had to go do that. So this time in November, they go back down. And this time it took them only a week. <laughs> and there's a guy that's been analyzing sonar for 45 years. And his name is Gary Kozak. And he said, when I saw that signature, I knew it was, I knew that it was almost certainly the remains of an old wreck. So they do more scans and they found jars, bottles, but most importantly, they found cannons with <laughs> Dolphins. dolphins yes nice. yeah he found he found the san jose so it doesn't look like a ship anymore but you can tell that it is but it's just an outline we'll have pictures on our instagram and also references on our website mm -hmm. you guys can go look at all of this but typically what would happen is they would ships would you know go down in hurricanes or they would accidentally run aground and um what happened to the san jose is it's actually nestled down into the mud. Like it hit the floor with such so force. hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Okay. So, but think about moving through water mm -hmm. is slower, right? Yeah. So but it. Fucking force. Yeah. It was yeah. That explosion. Down? Yeah. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's bananas. The force of this explosion. It is bananas. So they found um, 22 bronze cannons in this area, mm -hmm. and they found ceramic jars, cooking pots, enema syringes, oh. <laughs> Dutch gin bottles, and hundreds of Chinese porcelain cups. But why the enema syringes? And, of course, I had to look it up. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Think of a giant syringe. Yeah. That's well, I know what an enema hundreds. is. Yeah, but a syringe, like oh my gosh, you I don't just know. Stick it up they, there and I think pump maybe it, people and were like like when people got constipated. Sick. Well, also, and I think people would get sick, and so they couldn't keep anything down. And oh. so to get nutrients, they would give people put an it enema. In their bum. Yeah, put it in their bum. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. <laughs> So, um, let's see. <laughs> sidetracked me from the animals. <laughs> you sidetracked me, okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, so the guy, the um, Dooley, he said that the site tells a story as a, a story of horrific violence. The blanket of mud dips deeply towards the front of the galleon, indicating that the entire bow of the ship had blown off, likely mm -hmm. as a result of an explosion. So the true value 
of the treasure is impossible to know. Why the coins are worth whatever collectors so they are found willing coins to pay for them. Too? They found coins. Okay. Yeah, they found everything. I mean, it's all down there. It's spread out, you know, right? The ocean An currents and stuff. Right. But yeah, they found it. It's all down there. It's wow. It's just, but it's not, you know, it's estimated to be worth billions, but really it's, you know, whatever investors and collectors and, you know, museums are willing to pay for this stuff. Right. So, um, a rare, a single rare silver piece from the San Jose, just a single piece could sell for hundreds, if not thousands of dollars at auction. Wow. But if all seven to 12 million pesos were to hit the market all at once, you'd have a catastrophic failure. Um, right. So there are archaeologists that advocate for just leaving the San Jose where it is. Just leave it there um, until we actually have the ability to bring it up in a better state, like the right technology to bring it up without right. it, you know, disintegrating. Into, yeah. Yep. Without as, as much damage as possible. But I mean, this fucking legal battle is still going on. So the San Jose is just sitting at the bottom of the ocean still. But we did find wow. it. But that is the story of the San Jose. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm. I think I'm pro Colombia, though. I right? would agree. Yeah. I definitely think it's. Theirs. I don't think you get to just be like, oh well, we stole it. It's ours. Yeah. Like. No. Yeah, it definitely, I definitely, but I'm sure that there are side. arguments on the Spain side, on the Spanish side for that sure. Yeah, more... Try to be a neutral ground about that. Cause I, I mean, I don't know. It could go but... either. I, I mean, I definitely lean one way more than the other, yeah. but I understand both perspectives. Right. You know, like we discovered it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so yeah. interesting. I, I, thank you for telling me about it because <laughs> I had never heard of it before. And that's wild. Yeah, I decided to go a little bit different because it is a legend. So when we talk about legends, it doesn't necessarily have to be magic. Magic. <laughs> Just be legendary. Magic. That's great. I love it. Yay. Well, thanks for tuning in today, you guys. We really love when you check in with us. And we hope you have a fantastic week. And a fantastic new year. Yeah. Let us know what your guys' um, resolutions are. Do you believe in resolutions? Let's chat about it. Send Let's us a note. Send us a note. Um, but yeah, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, whatever your preferred social media source is. And um, give us, us a like. Email. Give us a follow. Send us Ooh, an email yeah. at morethanmythspodcast at gmail.com. If you heard anything that you think we got wrong or maybe – just want to say hi. We're happy to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. Love it. Uh, if you like to listen to us on Apple or Spotify or Google, give us a follow or subscribe. And I think you can leave a review on Spotify now as well as Apple. That would be really helpful if you guys, I mean, if you've got, you know, two minutes to just leave a real quick review, it just boosts our visibility, just gives us a little bump. Yep. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, as always, remember, tell your friends, tell your family and tell your mom. Call your mom, ask her how she's doing, but also mention us. Yeah. Say hi. Until next time, stay curious. Bye. Bye.